Welcome to the Old Chick Snowship Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Arthurton. This podcast is dedicated to helping midlife women step into the inherent power and wisdom of a time of life when they often feel overlooked and underrepresented and even begin to doubt themselves. Each week, we will cover information and inspirational topics along with real stories from real women who are defying cultural stereotypes and perceptions of midlife. Women who are reinventing themselves, starting businesses, chasing their dreams, and tackling challenges they never thought possible. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Old Chick Snowship podcast. Today, we are talking all about boundaries. Now, I don't know about you, but probably I never heard the term boundaries for until maybe the last five or six years. It wasn't something that I saw being modeled for me in my life, and hence, I had none of them, which led me to this place of like complete burnout, people-pleasing, and a whole bunch of other things that I didn't really want in my life. So today, I have with me um, Nancy Levin, who is a master coach and the best-selling author of several books, including her latest book, which is Setting Boundaries Will Set You Free, and this is what I want to talk about all about today. But she's also written a number of other books. One of the favorite titles I love was Jump and Your Life Will Appear, because that's really been the story of the last five years of my life. <laughs> she is formerly the event director at Hay House for over a decade. She's the creator of the Levin Life Coach Academy and Destination Me, offering in-depth coaching and training programs designed to support students and clients to make themselves a priority by setting boundaries that stick. <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm so happy to have you with us, Nancy. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. So tell me a little bit about your experience of what like led you to write this book. Yes. So, you know, we teach what we need to learn, right? Amen. <laughs> and so <laughs> I also, as you mentioned, you know, I didn't know what boundaries were. And in fact, for much of my life, I thought my boundarylessness is what made me so exceptional at what I was able to do. And I was the ultimate people pleaser, peacekeeper, conflict avoider. I was really the queen of the impossible. I could get anything done, do anything. And this was really the role that I sunk into. And, you know, especially when we're immersed in that kind of mindset, we're really attaching our worth and our value to what we do, what we produce, what we achieve. And so my job at Hay House was, you know, was just giving me gold stars left and right. And I was chasing them. You know, I was chasing the external validation and the external approval. And very similarly, in my marriage, I really learned at an early age, how to sublimate my wants and needs and desires in service of someone else's. So I was born into a family where my older brother was ill and died. He died when I was two. Oh, wow. And so, yeah. So the imprint on me was really about, you know, better you have no needs and be self-sufficient. Someone else's needs are, are more important than yours. Also, you know, if you're broken like he is, you will die. So thus began the quest for perfectionism. And, wow. you know, also this sense in me of trying to heal a grief in my parents that couldn't be healed. So wanting to rescue and save and fix my parents. Right. And so as I, you know, when I got older and, you know, eventually got married, I really, you know, when I got married, it was as if my husband said to me, hi, I'm broken. And I said, well, great. I'm superwoman. I can fix you. (laughs) Right. Right. 
And so, you know, our core wounds were really a match made in heaven. And I began sublimating all my wants and needs in order to serve all of his. And I lost myself along the way. And so even though I was this real powerhouse at Hay House, I was completely silent in my marriage. I went really from this cage of rage in my marriage, you know, of being married to someone very controlling, being married to someone who really, you know, he was, he fought dirty and I didn't know how to fight. And so I didn't even know that it was an option to have boundaries. I didn't even know how to assert any of my own needs and how to honor myself in any way. The marriage was really set up for me to honor him, not myself. You just touched on something that I think is really important and I think really common is this concept of the you are a star in your career, mm-hmm. right? But yet mm-hmm. you couldn't, you know, advocate for your own needs. And yes. I know that was my story. And I've yes. heard that story so many times. Like very common brilliant kick-ass women who are just doing things out there, yet part of the reason why they are so successful is because they're putting everything above their needs. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's the overcompensating, yeah. it's the overachieving, the overgiving. And, you know, there is absolutely a correlation. I've seen it in my coaching practice over and over. There is a correlation between the really high functioning career star and, you know, the doormat at home. Right. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then, I mean, so, you know, all of the conditioning we have that gets us to this place from our families and everything else. And then there's the societal messaging about, you know, women not rocking the boat, being good. Right. Exactly. Like, you know, serving everybody, like doing everything for everybody and putting themselves last on their list. So kind of like we're sandwiched. We're like, this is double whammy. Right. And then we also have like the family conditioning on top of that. So yeah, it's like the perfect, the perfect storm. Exactly. And so, you know, like I said, I, I thought my boundarylessness was what made me so good at what I did. And, you know, then as you also mentioned, you know, there was burnout, there was all these things happening. And ultimately the real catalyst for me to make a change in my life was my marriage blowing up. Right. And, you know, I had always had this sort of front row seat and backstage pass to all the greatest thinkers and authors and teachers in the field of self-empowerment, but I didn't really let them land in me until I was going through my own crisis. Right. And at first, I didn't really want to look deeply at what was happening. I wanted to keep the facade up of, you know, this image of perfection, and I wanted to continue managing the perception of others so I would give them a very specific lens for them to see me through. You know, I didn't want anyone else to know what was going on behind closed doors. And I certainly didn't even want to look until it was really the choice I needed to make to take a good, hard look at what am I doing in my marriage? What am I doing in my life? And I have a choice. And ultimately, I made the choice to leave my marriage after 18 years. And it took two years for me to leave. Right. And that was really the first boundary I ever set. You know, in 2010, setting the boundary of not going back and it was enormous and it changed everything because it was really the first time I was willing to make myself a priority in my own life. I was willing to put my life at center stage. I was willing to consider my needs and, you know, it was really the first time that I gave myself that permission 
Yeah. And it's what's interesting, you do mention this in the book, and we'll talk a little bit more about this too, is like, you know, we get to this stage of like, we're burnt out or we're resentful or we're angry or whatever, mm-hmm. and we are blaming everything around us. It's the job, it's the people, it's my mother, it's my husband, it's the this, right? <laughs> when the reality is, <laughs> it's like, it's me, it's, mm-hmm. it's all it's me, me, right? And taking yeah. responsibility for that, like, like you just said, right? Just a hard that's, place to get you know, to. It is a really hard place to get to, but it's where we get, it's real. It's really where we get when we sort of run out of all the other things. We finally, <laughs> we finally land there. And, you know, one of the foundational points that I make in this book, Setting Boundaries Will Set You Free, is, you know, other people are not crossing our boundaries. Yeah. If our boundaries are being crossed, we are the one crossing the boundary. Yeah. And to really sit with that and recognize, because so many of us want to point the finger outward. We want to blame. We want to be a victim. And the truth is, we by taking on this new reframe about boundaries mm-hmm. of, you know, if my boundaries are being crossed, I'm crossing them. This moves us into responsibility and empowerment. Yeah. And then from there to really also understand that it's my responsibility to set the boundary and it's my responsibility to uphold the boundary. So it's not about someone else respecting the boundary or honoring it or anything. It's up to me. Yeah. And there's something really freeing in that. Like, at least I found that, like when I finally got to that place where I was like, oh yeah, this is all me. This is all Mm -hmm. on me. It was kind of like, at first it was a hard thing to admit, but when then it felt very freeing because if it's me, I can actually control me, right? Like, it's not like the world is doing something to me. It's me. Exactly. So it was actually, well, I guess that's the title of your book. We'll say, well, right? Right. Yeah. Because, you know, yeah. the other thing is really examining, you know, what is it that we first think of when we think of boundaries? So most people think of it being something restrictive. Right. And think about it being something that is an ultimatum. Or something that we are essentially, you know, confronting another person with. And so, you know, I'm really clear about saying, you know, my definition of boundaries is the limits that we set around what we will or will not do, will or will not tolerate, and will or will not accept. So a boundary is really about me. My boundary is between me and me, even if it involves another person. So from that aspect, a boundary is not telling someone else what they can or cannot do. A boundary is not about anyone else changing in any way. And I think that is, you know, that's a mind shift that has to occur because most people think a boundary is making a demand or setting an ultimatum. But a boundary really is about what am I willing to do or not willing to do? What's okay or not okay for me? And how am I going to take care of myself? Right. So when we come from a place of, you know, like I said at the top of the show, like I never saw boundaries modeled. I certainly didn't have any of them. I didn't even know what a boundary was. Mm-hmm. And, you know, through my own process of doing my own work, I've come to figure out those boundaries. But when you're coming from a boundaryless world, it's like, where do you even start? Like, I don't even know what my boundaries are. Like, how, right. how do you t- tackle that with people? Great. So the first, you know, the first place to begin is to learn how to orient toward locating yourself first. Mm. So in other words, 
most of us are oriented outward. We're other referenced. So we are consumed with what do they think? What do they need? What do they feel? What do they want? And then we're in constant reaction mode. Mm -hmm. So the first step is to really start to turn those questions inward. What do I think? What do I want? What do I need? What do I feel? To even begin to have a connection to what's happening inside of me instead of what's outside of me. Right. So that's really where it needs to begin with some kind of self-connecting practice where I'm really engaging in this relationship with myself Mm -hmm. and I'm not tuned to everyone else. You know, especially when we look at, you know, the codependency that happens in partnership, but also in with friendships, with family, you know, that really is looking for someone else to regulate us emotionally. Mm-hmm. So we're so tuned to other people. I'm not okay if you're not okay. Or right. what do I need to do or say to make everything be okay? You know, we get in that loop of, right. you know, I can't sit with the discomfort of you being angry or you being upset. And right. on some level, I believe it's my fault and I believe it's my job to fix it. And the truth is that it's not our responsibility to yeah. manage someone else's response to our truth. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, interesting. <laughs> you know, like the tuning in part, like I know, like from my own experience, and I'm sure that some of the listeners will relate to this. Like I was so used to putting myself last that I had kind of like shut off like the connection to my body. But when I started to mm-hmm. tune in, it was like the way I started to learn how, where my boundaries were, it was like that feeling that I get that's like, it's not okay. Before I would just like push past Bow it through. And, yeah, mm-hmm. and get to that place. And then as soon as now, like, it's like, as soon as you feel that, like it actually happens now before my brain is even conscious of it. It's like, oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Wait, let me retract what I was just about to say yes to. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So our body is our boundary barometer. Our body will tell us truth. And then we often override the truth. So, you know, the second thing I was going to say after, you know, we need to really be able to locate ourselves and start to check in with like what's happening for us instead of everything outside of us. The second way to begin boundary setting, to even begin knowing what's okay and what's not okay is really getting clear on our yeses and our noes. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, it's the impulse to go to that knee jerk. Yes. And we go to the knee jerk. Yes. Because we feel obligated or responsible. We don't want someone else to be angry or upset. We want to be the fixer or the healer or the savior. You know, we go to that knee jerk. Yes. Without even considering our own needs. And so I'll often have tell clients, here are your options. <laughs> If you can say no to a direct request right off the bat, say no. If you can't Uh say no, simply say, I'll get back to you tomorrow. Now, you're not asking for permission to get back to them tomorrow. You're just simply saying, I'll get back to you tomorrow. And that builds in the pause because a yes should really only come from desire. And we have to pause to be able to check in with what is our motivation for saying yes or no. Because every time we say yes to something we don't want to say yes to, we're saying no to us yeah. and vice versa. Yeah. So, you know, the other piece with this that I see often is, you know, we've all heard sort of the phrase, no is a complete sentence, <laughs> yeah. but it really is. And especially when 
we feel like we have to embellish the no. We have to give a song and a dance or a story. You know, we feel like we have to somehow have a reason to say no. I've had clients say that to me. I want to say no, but yeah. I don't have a good reason. Yeah. So you tell and, a white lie, right? <laughs> right. And yeah. the truth is we don't need a reason. No. We don't need a reason to say no. <clears throat> and somehow we allow our yes to stand on its own, but we don't allow our, our no to stand on its own. We have to embellish it. So to practice saying no with grace and gratitude instead of excuses and apologies, you know, right. a no can simply be, thanks so much for thinking of me. I'm not available. You know, that's perfectly acceptable. So why do you think it is that we are so comfortable to just let a no hang? So uncomfortable to let a no hang. <laughs> I'm so uncomfortable to let a no hang. I think because we are by nature conflict averse. Right. And so we think that saying no is going to create conflict. Mm. And so we also think that it's somehow tarnishing an image of us that someone is holding. Mm. And all of that is putting more investment on what someone else thinks than what's true for us. So even the conflict piece, you know, here's the thing I've really come to know. We, you know, first of all, conflict is really just an illumination of our differences. It doesn't have to be confrontational. It doesn't have to be argumentative even, but we have such a fear of conflict and we tend to go to extremes around our conflict. Like if I say no, you know, I'll be abandoned you know, that it's all or nothing. And a couple of things I've realized. One is when we fear conflict, we might think on some level we're fearing a fight. But the truth is that's really surface. What we're really fearing is that the relationship itself doesn't hold water. Because if I'm in a relationship where I can't show up and tell the truth, it's not about a fight. It's a deeper conflict which is ultimately the conflict with myself that I'm not willing to do what it takes to be myself in this relationship. I'm going to keep packaging myself to be digestible and I'm going to cross my boundaries in order for this relationship to work. That's really what we're afraid of. We're afraid of, oh, I have to actually deal with the fact that this doesn't work. Yeah. As you're talking, I'm thinking, you know, we do this in so many areas of our lives. Like we do it Mm -hmm. in like our, you know, our intimate relationship, our friendships, our jobs. Totally. (laughs) Completely. Um, Yeah. Our families. Yep. And I guess too, if your value, and you said this earlier, if your value is in what you do, and if your value, Mm -hmm. if you see your value in making people happy, it's really hard to not, (laughs) right? Like Mm -hmm. I'm not valuable if I'm making somebody else upset. That's right. That's right. And again, that's the piece of really recognizing I don't have the power to make someone else happy and I don't have the power to make someone else upset. That's their choice. Yeah. They can react or respond. They can be impacted by me. Yeah. But they still have a choice. Yeah. And I think going back to what you said, why are we so uncomfortable in sitting in the no? You know, the truth is that we're more comfortable continuing to take the hit then we are impacting anyone in such a way where they may be feeling discomfort. So in other words, we would rather absorb the discomfort than have anyone else feel it. Right. Which is the definition of codependency, right? That's right. So you talk about in, I think one of the, the steps in your book is conquer codependence. Like where do you tell people to begin on on that topic? Because that I feel like is 
so ingrained in so many of us. And, and, and I really see it as a spectrum. Like there's, we're kind of all mm-hmm. on the spectrum in some degree and probably in different places in different parts of our lives. Right. Mm-hmm. So how do you begin to unpack that? So it is, you know, first of all, it, it is about this sort of cozying up to conflict. So not looking at conflict as something that is going to make or break anything. And also what I was saying earlier, you know, tuning into self instead of tuning into other, you know, what are the ways that I can actually take my own temperature first before I take yours? You know, so we all know the expressions about like walking on eggshells of, you know, I have to see what your mood is before I know my mood. And so part of this is really learning how to tune into your own mood. Part of the codependency piece too is start or the conquering codependence is paying attention to our own wants and needs and learning how to express them where the stakes are low. Now, this is kind of a silly example, but everyone I share it with, we all, it's one we all get. So if I say to you, you know, where do you want to go to dinner? (laughs) The the most common response is, I don't care. Where do you want to go? Right. It's the most common response. And I'm simply inviting anyone listening to actually consider the next time that happens, you know, or even if it's what do you want for dinner, since we're not going out anywhere, you know, to actually consider, do I want spaghetti? Do I want tofu? Do I want steak? You know, what do I actually want? And to be willing to make the offer, you know, huh, this is what I want instead of acquiescing or defaulting. And so part of it is that we don't, we haven't really learned how to trust our own opinions. Yeah. We yeah. haven't really tuned into desire. And so the default is to allow someone else to make decisions for us. Yeah. I mean, that trust is such a big one because, and when you think about it, it's like, if somebody crossed your boundaries all the time, or if somebody didn't do what they said they were going to do all the time, would you trust them? No. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Yet it's the thing that we do to ourselves constantly over and over again. And, you know, then we wonder why we don't trust ourselves, why we don't trust right. our decisions and our choices and our thoughts and even our feelings. Like we don't right. trust our own bodies for goodness sakes. Right. Exactly. It's exactly true. So the way to really move through this codependency is to, have this sovereignty, to have this autonomy, to Mm -hmm. cultivate this relationship of trust within ourselves so that we no longer feel like someone else is the the expert on us, because that's really what's happening. We don't trust, you know, that I'm the expert on me. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, how many times do you, you know, you need to make a decision or should I do this or shouldn't do that? And then you go and you pull 15 people, <laughs> right? Right. In your mm-hmm. family to see what decision you should make. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, and we've exactly. all been guilty of that. And then even like sure. back to your restaurant example, like even people who, and I've probably done this before. I've definitely done this in the business context where it's like you're at a, in a restaurant, you're, everybody's ordering and then you wait to see what everybody's ordering and then you change yours. <laughs> Mm-hmm. to make it fit. Right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So again, yeah. that's what I'm talking about of, you know, the ways we learn early on to package ourselves to be digestible to someone else. Yeah. You know, the ways we're going to stay small or silent or invisible. And so, you know, part of the process is really, you know, first I think giving ourselves permission to consider our own needs at least as much 
as we're considering the needs right. of others, like baseline, at least as much. Yeah. And even that can be a big ask for some people. Yeah. You know, then giving ourselves permission to consider our needs even more than the needs of right. others. Right. And then the real boundary ninja move is consider your needs first before you consider the needs of others. And then, you know, first of all, I didn't say anywhere in there, don't consider the needs of others. Right. You know? Right. So it's not, again, it's not either or, it's both and. And inevitably, someone will say to me, and I've heard you talk about this too, and I get excited, you know, someone will say to me, well, isn't that selfish? Right. And I say, yes. Right. And I am on the bandwagon to reclaim selfishness. Yeah. Because we've disowned selfishness to such a degree that we've put a prize on selfless. And in selfless, exactly. we disappear. We vanish. Yeah. I mean, I don't know where and well, where and when selfish became a bad word, but to right. your point, I'm like, let's name that. Like, let's put that one up in lights. <laughs> it needs Absolutely. To be. Yeah. And I really look at it like selfish, self-care, and self-love are three sisters whose job it is to support us in honoring ourselves. And if we're not willing to honor ourselves, what is it that we think we're waiting for? <laughs> Who do we right. think is coming along to do that? Because we have it backwards. We think our sense of value and worth is going to come from something outside of us. Right. And yet it's the opposite. Our beliefs are magnetic. So we're going to draw toward us precisely what we believe about ourselves and we, that will get reinforced. So where do you think we go wrong with boundaries? Like, or where can boundaries go wrong in terms of becoming a demand or an ultimatum or mm -hmm. things like that, which, you know, none of us yes. want, but right. how do, how do we slip into that? Like, in, in, because I'm sure like, as we're navigating, setting our own boundaries, we're going to mess up. Yeah, we're right? definitely going to mess up. And I will say, so the number one way that we screw up is by starting with you, mm. by pointing a finger outward. Right. And the way that we can actually communicate is by staying with I. Mm. So I'll give you an example in a moment, because the other thing I want to say is that earlier I mentioned all of my boundaries are between me and me first and foremost, even if they involve another person. Mm -hmm. So one of the ways we also screw up is that we speak a boundary too soon. Mm, so in other words, if we verbalize a boundary and we are not ready to hold it, we're the little girl who cries wolf. Right. So not every boundary needs to be spoken because ultimately it's up to me to hold it. So mm. if I decide I want to verbalize a boundary, you know, like listen to the difference of the, like, here's sort of an extreme example that could really be a fight you know, kind of thing. You know, you drink too much all the time when we have dinner, you know, stop drinking. Right. right. So like, that's the way we think about, that's what we right. think about. For sure. That's, that's not a boundary. That's right. a demand, you know, or stop drinking or else, you know, I'm going to divorce you. You know, that's a demand <laughs> right. and an ultimatum. Right. So a boundary is really, I feel uncomfortable when you have more than two glasses of wine at dinner. So I'm just letting you know ahead of time that if you decide to have another glass, I'm going to excuse myself and go into the spare bedroom. Hmm. So boundaries come from a place of vulnerability then. Like you have to be able to 
put yourself out there to share mm-hmm. your feeling about it mm-hmm. in order to set yeah. the boundary correctly. That's mm-hmm. right. And again, nowhere in there did I say that you're doing anything wrong. Right. Nowhere in there was I pointing a finger and blaming you. I was just simply letting you know I'm uncomfortable. And yeah. in order to take care of myself, here's what I'm going to do. Now, if I say this out loud, I damn well better get up from the table if the third glass of wine is poured and go into the spare bedroom, you know, right. or take the Uber home from the restaurant or whatever it is, you know. So that's why I'm really careful to say, don't set a boundary verbally until you know you're ready to hold it because we teach people how to treat us. And if you set a boundary and then don't hold it, you've just informed the other person that you're full of shit. (laughs) Right. 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 And again, it also depends on what kind of person we're dealing with. So if we're dealing with a reasonable person, there can be some collaboration. You know, I feel really uncomfortable when you have more than two glasses of wine. Are you cool with only having two glasses of wine tonight? Like there can be a request, Mm -hmm. you know, would that be okay with you tonight? Are you cool with that? And they might say, oh my God, sure. I don't want you to feel uncomfortable or yeah, no problem or whatever. But when we're dealing with an unreasonable person, someone who's, you know, a narcissist or someone who's an abuser or someone who's, you know, what a controlling or someone who's a bully, you know, it doesn't make sense to make a request. Right. There's not going to be a collaborative communication. And that's when you really have to come in with, here's what I'm going to do to take care of myself. I'm not leaving my care in your hands. Right. I'm going to take care of myself. Right. So if Mm -hmm. in a situation where, let's say, for example, you have set a boundary, but you haven't actually held that boundary. Yes. And you want to come back now and say, okay, Mm -hmm. I'm now prepared Mm -hmm. to really Mm -hmm. honor this boundary. Like, how do you do Mm -hmm. that effectively if you've cried wolf three or four times before? Yeah. So, you know, this is something I actually work with a lot of clients around and and not surprisingly, a lot of entrepreneurs around because Mm -hmm. there's this mindset of, I need to be available 24 seven to my clients or they'll find someone else, you know? And so there might've been an agreement at the beginning or might, there may not have been an agreement at the beginning around communication. So, you know, I've seen it both ways. I've seen the, the boundaries set in an agreement. Let's say, you know, I only communicate via email and right. I only respond to emails these days or this time. But then what do I do? I pick up the phone on a Friday afternoon after I said, I don't, I don't communicate via phone. You know, that's a big way a lot of entrepreneurs cross their own boundaries is, you know, I say one thing and I do another. Right. And the way, so this can all get renegotiated. This can all at any point in any relationship of any sort. Right. It can always come from the place of, I know that we've been operating under these kinds of, you know, guidelines or this way with the schedule moving forward. I want to let you know, here is my, you know, here is my new guidelines. You know, I'm only available on, you know, whatever Monday through Thursday from 10 to four. Right. And if you reach out after that time, I'll get back to you when I'm available, you know, so that you're also letting them know, here's very clearly what this looks like. And here's what it's going to look like moving forward. I know that up till now, I haven't been honoring this. I haven't been holding this. Right. And I certainly wouldn't expect you to, if I haven't been, but moving forward, here's what I'm putting in place. Right. You know, but again, yeah, it's taking ownership. It's 
It's taking ownership. And again, it's not even asking for their buy-in. You know, they don't necessarily have to buy into it. I mean, if it's an agreement that needs to be signed, they're signing it, but it's really still up to you to to uphold it. So if you have a client who calls every Friday and you've made it very clear you work Monday through Thursday, you have to not respond until Monday in order to hold the boundary. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it can also look like, you know, let's say, you know, your mother calls you 10 times a day and sometimes you answer, sometimes you don't, but you're still always thinking, God, why does she call me at this time? If you keep answering, she'll keep calling. So, you know, the message really is, Hey mom, I'm just letting you know that, you know, it doesn't work for me to talk to you during the day. Yeah. I will call you after 6 p.m. You're welcome to call and leave as many messages as you like. I won't be answering, but I will get back to you. So you're, you know, laying out for them the expectation of when they will hear from you, but then we have to stick to not answering the phone. Right. So that's what I'm saying. So as you're talking, I'm like, the really hard part is not the saying. It's like sitting on your hands and not touching the phone. That's exactly right. That's right. (laughs) Sitting in the discomfort of it. Yeah. That's exactly right. And so sitting in the discomfort is a big piece of boundary setting, especially at the beginning, really getting comfortable with the discomfort, knowing I'm not going to die from the discomfort and knowing that if I feel guilty, and this is a biggie, if Mm -hmm. I feel guilty, the guilt in this context is here to let me know I'm on the right track. Right. Because it's probably a 180 degree shift from before and now I'm honoring myself. So the guilt is actually indicating you're doing this right. And the beautiful part is the guilt, and I know I've been through this, the guilt actually doesn't last that long. Like if Mm -mm. you just give it like a couple minutes, like 10 Mm -hmm. minutes or so, you're like, oh, okay, this was good. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. One of the other things that you talk about in the book, I think it's one of the last steps is envisioning your empowered future. And I am a huge, huge, huge proponent of creating a vision for what it is for the life that you want. So how do you envision your boundary empowered future? (laughs) So, you know, the simplest way is is to really get clear on what will be on the other side of setting the boundary or not setting the boundary. Brilliant. Because the thing is, there are consequences to setting boundaries and to not setting boundaries. Right. So we may know a boundary needs to be set. And, you know, resentment rising, for example, is like a number one telltale sign a boundary needs to be set. We may know a boundary needs to be set. But we might then sort of weigh the consequences and say, you know what, those aren't, these aren't consequences. Setting the boundary creates consequences I'm not willing to live with. Right. And so I'm not going to set the boundary. And what that also does is it at least makes us conscious so we don't go into this sort of subconscious, unconscious resentment. We are more conscious. So right. that, you know, so it begins with really being able to see what, you know, they're really looking at, you know, what is the dreaded list of consequences, right. you know, of right. setting the boundary? What are the consequences of not setting the boundary? But then being able to go to what, what is the list of exhilarating outcomes yeah. on the Love other that. side of setting this boundary? Love that. Because we, we know science has proven we have the negativity bias in our brain. We're going to default to the negative. We have to allow ourselves to see all the benefits and beauty 
that's waiting on the other side of setting this boundary. And then from there, you know, I have what I call my transformation equation, and it is change equals vision plus choice plus action. So if we want something to change, Mm -hmm. we have to see the vision. And then the vision becomes a gauge for the choices we make and the actions we take. Right. So right. we are, you know, so we want to make sure that we're making choices and taking action that are going to propel us forward toward the vision we desire. And, you know, this is one of those things that's simple. It's not easy, but it's simple to look at, okay, if I want a specific change, I want a different outcome. And I know, and I have the vision of that. Is the choice I'm making serving me or sabotaging me? Because it's only right. doing one or the other. Right. And the same with our actions, doing one or the other. And from there, we really do get to create what we want. Because the way I look at it is, you know, where we are now in this moment, you know, I am the culmination of every choice I've made in my life. Mm-hmm. So it just goes to prove that if I don't make different choices, my future is going to arrive looking very much like my present or my past. <laughs> exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. So our present moment choice is the crystal ball. <laughs> you know, our present moment choice predicts our future. Right. And we simply want to make sure that we're living in a way that our choices and actions are aligned with our vision. And then that's really, that's the freedom, you know, because then we're living so in alignment with what's true for us that we're not setting boundaries on a daily basis we're simply living in such a way that our boundaries are being set more naturally because we're in alignment with what's true. Right. And we're in right relationship with ourselves. Yeah. And even like, it's as simple as too, I think if you have a vision for what it is that you're working towards sitting in the Mm -hmm. discomfort is that much easier because you can like, you're feeling the discomfort and, but you know, Mm -hmm. there's a payoff as opposed to sitting in the discomfort for like, okay, what am I doing here? And then, yeah. Yeah. So how has, becoming a boundary badass changed your life? I mean, in so many ways, I will say the biggest thing is that I feel, I really feel the freedom of time and space. Mm. And, and I feel that I really say yes when I want to say yes. And I say no, when I want to say no, and that I pause, that I really consider what do I want? Mm -hmm. As opposed to, you know, how am I going, you know, if I do this, someone's going to be mad or how can I do something to get someone to like me, Mm -hmm. you know, which is the, you know, the other side of it too, but to stay really true, to stay really true to me. So being the boundary badass is really having the life that I want to live on my terms. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I I know like for me, it's been like a huge part of being able to develop like self-trust, like to be able to trust myself and simply being able to trust myself has made my life so much easier in so many things. Like it's like, I'm constantly in awe of like, oh, I just made that decision. Like, and it's the best thing, right? Before where I would have agonized, I might've gone and asked people, I would have, right? But now I'm like, I can tune in. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, this feels good. And I can trust myself in that, which just feels so damn good. It's like being in a relationship with somebody that I didn't used to trust versus, right? Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So yes. yeah, it's, it's so important. And it's, you know, it's really, and I say this all the time, it's really unfortunate that I had no idea what a boundary was until I was like 50. 
like almost 50, right? I think I was 45. So yeah, not far behind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, again, it was only because I was completely fried and had nowhere else to turn. Right. And even then the whole yeah. like boundary, what, what is that? Like, what does that even mean? So, yeah. So thank you very much. You guys listening, I encourage you to go get this book. The exercises in it are brilliant. I have the hard copy. Well, first I listened to it on audiobooks because I walk and listen to book. But then mm -hmm. every time you got to an exercise, I was like, oh, I really want to do that. So then I had to go buy the book so I could just do the exercises. <laughs> um, and like this was after having done, you know, my own boundary work before I came across your book. And I still got so much out of it, like things mm. that I hadn't considered. So this is so, so necessary what you're putting into the world. Um, I think especially for the midlife women who are listening to this, because we grew up in a culture where boundaries were not a thing. Yeah. And we yes. need to now model that for our daughters so Amen. they can model it for their daughters and on down the road. Right. So <laughs> really important work that you're doing. And I appreciate you sharing this. And where can, people, where can people get your book? Amazon, obviously. Yeah. Amazon. And everything is on my website, nancylevin.com. Okay. okay, perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Old Chicks No Shit podcast. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give is to share this podcast with a friend, subscribe, rate and review our podcast on iTunes or wherever it is that you listen in.